Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you again today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. And I'm really excited to have with me as my guest today, Julie Bieland. She is a psychotherapist specializing in high sensitivity. She's the host of the HSP podcast and founder of the Sensitive Empowerment Community, whose mission it is to create a paradigm shift where sensitivity is embraced, valued, and honored. Julie offers multiple essential resources for educating, inspiring, and empowering HSPs. You can register for her free masterclasses, take the sensitivity quiz, and profoundly transform your life in her courses and community. Her HSPs and business group is designed to support and empower sensitive people to grow heart-centered businesses, share their voices, and be part of the change the world needs. She even has an HSP dating group, which is a safe space to bring together conscious, kind, caring, sensitive people, offering both hetero and LGBTQ and HSPs. Welcome, Julie. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Yes, thank you for being here. Um, I love to always start with my guests to just hear a little bit about your story. Like, how did you come to do this work? What led you here? What were some of your own experiences that got you to, you know, especially working with this topic? Yes, well, I am a highly sensitive person myself, and uh, we call that HSP for short. And I was really struggling with sensitivity in my life, as a lot of sensitive people do, really challenged by it. And I became really interested in, you know, how can we how can we kind of remove some of these challenges? And the more I learned about the trait, because this is a, for, for your audience kind of new to learning about it, it is a trait um, that's scientifically proven and it's about 20% of the population has this trait. Um, and it is really incredible to learn about it. Most people who learn about it, I think it's incredibly profound. And that was my experience too. I, I literally cried when I learned about it many years ago because it was like, wow, there's, there's a reason why I feel this way and there's other people like me. And I know a lot of sensitive people get messages that something's wrong with us for our sensitivity. And, and really it's the exact opposite. It's, there's nothing wrong with sensitivity. It's just that we live in a modern, chaotic, loud world that is difficult for sensitive people, but we have so many gifts that are available and that the world really needs. And so the more I learned about it, the more it changed my life and I really, got interested in the brain and how do we, you know, even things like you can activate calming centers that deactivate stress centers. And, you know, that was really profound to me that I could actually do something about my challenges. And uh, as a psychotherapist, I started to uh, specialize in sensitive people and I started to use these tools with them. And it was just, it was really profound, the impact for all of us. And it really became this movement, this real grassroots movement that 
we need sensitive people in the world. This trait evolved as a survival strategy of the population. We really are needed. And uh, it's really incredible to witness the blossoming that happens with a sensitive person when they're given these tools to really balance the sensitive nervous system. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you is what exactly does it mean to be sensitive? Yeah, so it is a trait. It's, it's something you're born with. It's equal in gender. About 70% of us are introverts, 30% extroverts. And I name that just because it's important to understand it's not the same thing as introversion. Um, and we have, um, in, in general, if you think about the senses, there's a uh, a lot of um, heightened experiences. We even have brain differences that, um, that make us experience the world in a different way. And there is a scale of sensitivity. Um, and that's interesting too, because the higher you, up, you are on the scale of sensitivity, we call that HSP empaths who are at the highest level of sensitivity, who really have the highest level of challenges, but also the most gifts. Like we can read you know, body language and micro expressions and energy that most of the population misses. There's, if you think about the nervous system as being like a container, a sensitive person might have a hundred cups of stuff dumped into that container every day that they need to process. And that's information. Uh, and a non-sensitive person might just have a few cups. So really that the challenges come from if we're overloaded, there's a, issues with sensory overload, for example, if we're amongst crowds or loud noises or bright lights or things like that can be even textures, um, you know, fabrics, scratchy fabrics, wool, things like that. Uh, a lot of sensitive people are impacted by, it's just, a, it's incredibly fascinating to learn about this trait. And, and we have a lot of research about it too. One of the things that I love to share is that it is not a disorder. And, uh, and one of the reasons we know about this is because we know that sensitive children raised with the right kinds of support actually thrive more than non-sensitive children and are less likely to have anxiety and depression. But the reverse is also true, that if we weren't given the right kinds of support, and a lot of us weren't because our parents didn't know about the trait, then we are more likely to have anxiety and depression. So how we're raised has a significant impact on our well-being. And has the science shown, do we know yet if this is more, are we more predisposed genetically or, I mean, even if you think about, you know, you live inside your mom for nine months as a little baby, you know, does her kind of sensitivity impact even a developing fetus? Do we know anything about that? At the time, at this time, the research is showing that this is a genetic trait. Um, and we certainly are impacted by more by traumatic experiences, but, but things like trauma, things like uh, something that our, our mother went through, we don't, we don't really have research that's showing that that's the cause of sensitivity. At this point, it is really a genetic. So most of us, when you, when you talk to people about the trait, almost everybody is like, oh, my mom is, or my dad is, or you know, I know somebody in my family who is, because we actually think that about at least 50% of clients in therapy have this trait, which is really high since it's only 20% of the population, um, but we actually do really well in therapy. Um, so that's actually something really recommended for a lot of sensitive people. Yeah. So I want to piggyback on that. So I work, you know, one of my specialties is addiction and I work in a addiction treatment center that specializes in trauma. And I would say a hundred percent 
almost like 90 some percent of the people we're seeing and that even I see in my private practice have this sensitivity. And, you know, we see um, the coping strategies they try to, you know, develop um, that aren't so healthy, right? Like I work with a lot of people who are using drugs and alcohol or food or something in a more addictive way to try to quell some of that sensitivity, which I even, call, you know, I often call it awareness. It's just your awareness. You're so aware of everybody else's feelings and thoughts and even their physical sensations, right? Like yes. you can feel in your body what someone else has going on in their body. And um, it can be overwhelming. Like you said, it's stimulus overload. Yes, um, yes. And so people will turn to all kinds of not so healthy behaviors to try to cope with that. Can you say more about that? Yes, I love that you're talking about this because I would really love to see research in this area because I agree with you. I actually believe that a lot of people struggling with addiction have this trait. You know, there's a lot of things attached to it too. Most of us were raised thinking there's something wrong with us because we were told something was wrong with us. And you constantly can, I mean, that was my experience. That's most, I mean, every sensitive person I've almost ever spoken to had these experiences. You know, they hear, why are you so sensitive? What's wrong with you? So not only are you walking around in the world with a really overloaded amount of emotional experiences. And, and for a lot of people, like I used to describe it as, I felt like my nerves were exposed. Like I was just raw walking around in the world you know, without tools, without knowing how to support myself through it. And not only that, but we're getting messages that something's wrong with us. So now we've got that thousand pound weight on top of the issue. Uh, yes, definitely. It makes sense that people are trying to numb themselves. Uh, yeah. And this is something I think could be really profound to research. Yeah. So when you work with clients in your workshops or, or classes and one-on-one and, -on -one and stuff like that, what kinds of things do you teach them might be better ways to manage their sensitivity. Yes, well, first of all, it's hugely important to learn about the trait, to really understand yourself and your experiences because you'll have a lot of aha moments. And I, I kind of think of it as three steps. The first step is to learn about it. The second step is to actually learn some of these tools that help you balance a sensitive nervous system and to spend time with other sensitive people because we are the minority. If we're not spending time with sensitive people, we can often think there's something wrong with us, which is why I created my sensitive empowerment community. It's really, it, it is so profound to spend time together because you're, you're like, wow, you experience the world like I do too. Mm -hmm. And it, it really changes and normalizes and validates our experience. And that's a really powerful thing. And we work on things like developing self-compassion. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating about this trait is that this is a group of people that have the most compassion for others. They're, you know, we're some of the first people to jump up and help people. We almost always by default sacrifice our own well-being to kind of pull everybody into our raft and help them. But I often say that it's like if we're pulling everybody into our own raft, then we're going we're gonna to all drown. So we have to make sure we're supporting ourselves, And we have to work on our, you know, self-compassion is huge because it helps with everything. It helps with resiliency. Um, and it's really interesting that so many of us, including myself, really had zero self-compassion, really hard on ourselves. We have really high expectations of ourselves. You know, as part of the trait, we want to get things done right the first time. We tend to be perfectionists. Um, that tends to be issues for a lot of sensitive people. So kind of reframing some of those experiences and learning how to prioritize your own wellness 
before assisting everybody else. That's a huge one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've come across two people have sometimes can have a little bit of resistance to that because they actually almost pride themselves on or, or think that they're, especially the empathy piece, you know, when you use that particular word that like, that's an admirable trade. I want to be empathic, you know, to those that are suffering, but I don't think they realize that they're literally like sometimes taking on, right. Yes. That pain and suffering in a really unhealthy, almost codependent really kind of way. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a saying that empathy without boundaries is self-destruction. And, mm -hmm. and it is, I mean, we, and we're taught, we're taught from an early age, especially women um, that, you, you know, we're praised to give up our needs in, in support of other people's needs. And obviously that's, it's a positive thing to be in the world wanting to help and support people. But if we're all drowning, we're not helping anybody. So it, it is a switch of mindset to work on. And, and I had to do the same thing to, because all of our defaults seem to be to skip our own needs. And it's like we had to retrain ourselves to actually take care of ourselves, to pay attention to our inner child who's been wanting our attention for a long time. And uh, this is life transforming because when we do that, we actually have more to give to the world if we're balanced and well. Right. Right. And people don't know that. They don't understand that. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking about the men too, right? Like when you... Like how traumatic is it for the highly sensitive man, you know, growing up as a little boy and maybe, you know, crying or, you know, being emotional and how that's a trait that in our culture anyways is, you know, frowned upon and don't be a sissy and whatnot. You know, what's been some of the more maybe unique experiences of men that you've worked with that have this trait? It's really interesting because if you think about one of the only emotions that we allow men in, in, in our society is anger. Um, and, and that's a problem if we're not allowing, you know, the, the natural experience of emotions and to, to get told that there's something wrong with you for your sensitivity, um, which is why I think it's so important to have this grassroots movement that we make these paradigm shifts, that we change this message that we need sensitive people in the world. And we're here for a reason that's really evolved for a reason. And we even find it in, it, it's already been found in over a hundred species as well. So it's not just humans. <laughs> mm. I have a, I have a whole household full of pets that have this trait also. <laughs> wow. That is true. Yes. I have noticed that with like cats and, and dogs and stuff, right? Some seem to be more sensitive and attuned to like the emotional state, right? The mood of their owner or the people in the house and they get really, you know, triggered when, when we get triggered. I've noticed yes. that. Absolutely. Yeah. We have more activation in the insula part of the brain that is really this conscious awareness. We have more activation in the brain near, near neuron part of the brain where we're literally firing some of the same neurons as the person we're observing. That certainly impacts us. We have more activation in the amygdala, which is part of the fight flight. Um, so these are all things that are really important to know about us and that our experiences are different from most of the people around us. And, and a lot of people have gotten invalidated for that. You know, we might be picking up on something like, hmm, that person doesn't seem genuine, or maybe they're not being honest and something's not quite right. I'm picking up on something intuitively. Um, and then they're getting told, you know, what's wrong with you? I don't see that. 
So if, if we're constantly getting those messages from childhood, what does that do to us? You know, then we're in, we're, we're really invalidating our experiences and you kind of feel like something's really wrong with you. So it's very powerful. I have people in the community joining even in their seventies and eighties. And it's, it's so exciting to me that people are starting to learn about this. It's getting more well-known and in every circumstance, it's life-changing to understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, I noticed when I work with these folks that we often have to get into like bring some consciousness to the subconscious beliefs, like the core beliefs that they hold about themselves, which do get formed in early childhood. And I find that a lot of people have learned not to trust their knowing they don't, you know, if you're told, oh, that's just your imagination or you're just being sensitive, it's so dismissive and invalidating, as you say, then you come to believe, well, then I must be wrong or I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just stupid or some sort of negative self-perception. Yes, absolutely. That's something that we have to work on are, are some of those mindset shifts too. And to, to teach people how to really trust their intuition and believe it. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to spend time with other sensitive people. So you're getting validated for your experiences that you can talk about it. You know, it's, it's really exciting to me when people talk about in the community, they're like, wow, I've never been able to talk about all this stuff in such a safe space before where people get what I'm saying and they understand me and I feel seen. And that's a very powerful experience. Yeah. What do you say to the client or person who can't see the positives, you know, that is still in that mindset of this is a bad thing that I'm so sensitive. Um, I don't see how could this possibly be a gift? How could this possibly be something positive? What would you say to that person? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's so painful to see people in those places. And I, and I understand what that is like. I used to think that sensitivity was the first thing I would change about myself before I understood it. And I thought it was, I thought I was weak. I thought I was fragile, thought something was wrong with me. I thought I didn't even think I was smart because we have to understand that, um, the, if we're thinking about the brain as two parts, like the cognitive and the emotional brain, for a lot of, we, I kind of call them untrained HSPs. So we, if we haven't really learned about this trait in some of these tools, we have uh, the emotional brain is activated a lot. And that actually makes the cognitive brain go to sleep. So you lose access to memory and focus and, and all kinds of things that you need. Um, and that's why, you know, there's a lot of misdiagnosis, in fact, um, that we think something's wrong with a child or with a person. But in fact, when we teach them how to activate that cognitive brain and come back online, then it supports the emotional brain and, and we can have more accurate messaging. So that might be some of what we would do is work on some of those particular tools and certain triggers. There's like a breath technique that's really powerful. For example, um, you, you breathe in for the count of four, you hold it for two and you exhale for seven and you do that about five cycles. And what that does is it sends a message to your brain. I'm not in danger. I don't want you to send out all the alarm bells because the brain cannot tell the difference between a real threat and a perceived threat. So even if you get criticized or something like that happens, your brain can set off alarm bells and it, it changes everything. It changes how you use oxygen, in fact, uh, puts it into your muscles so you get tight. That's why people get a lot of back pain when they're stressed. Um, and being able to do that breath technique is amazing because you, anybody can do that. You can teach it to children and teens as well. And it sends that signal to your brain because we don't br breathe with a long exhale when we're in high stress or activated fight flight. 
So yeah. that's why it's kind of incredibly powerful to use, you know, simple tools like that. I call them brain training tools. That's something that I'm really into is brain training <laughs> for sensitive people because it helps a lot. Well, right. I mean, and we talk about that too with from the trauma perspective, right? That just dovetails perfectly with this because the person who's experienced a lot of trauma in their lives, um, and it doesn't have to be the big T trauma either, just those little like T everyday kinds of traumas. We know that that people who have that, it, it, kids, it changes the way their brain develops. They become more highly attuned, you know, like hypervigilant, right? They're they've got, uh, they're always looking for the danger, right? They're scanning their environment for danger. And so they're almost primed to get into that fight flight activation in situations that are not actually life or death situations. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's incredible to develop a set of tools because you start to feel like you're going to be okay. Like you're carrying tools in your pocket. They're there for you when you need them. It's, it's really incredible to start to make that shift that you can go out into the world. You're not going to be constantly overwhelmed and overloaded, that there's things that you can do that will support your sensitive system. Yeah. And that's the empowerment piece. And that's such a big part of this work, right? Is empowering people to know that you're not a victim of this, that you in fact can learn tools and techniques and shift mindsets and whatever, and rewire your brain yeah. so that you can have a sense of control, a sense that I can manage, you know, even though the world's going to keep coming at me, you know, that I've got ways to manage that. I find that super empowering for myself and for my clients too. Yeah, me too. It was really life-changing for me. I wouldn't be doing any of the work I'm doing right now if I hadn't have gone through this process myself. And it used to be when I was younger that, that I just wanted to get into my room, close the door, lock it and, and shut off the world and because it just felt too overwhelming. And, and I know there's so many people out there that are struggling with anxiety and depression and, and, and sensitivity. And I just really want people to know that there's a better way. And we, there's a lot of natural holistic ways that work better for sensitive people. I, I can't tell you how many clients I had come into my office who had been put on medications and misdiagnosed for things that they don't have and they don't need. And the medications are actually harming them. So, you know, within a week or two of certain brain training techniques, they're actually, you know, feeling relief that they have never had. <laughs> and so it's, it's incredible what, what actually can help. Yeah. Let's talk about the misdiagnosis thing. Cause you brought that up a couple of times. What, what would you like other mental health or other healing professionals to know about this trait? How does it show up? You know, what, what things are they misdiagnosing people with that they maybe don't actually have? What, what does the professional need to know about this? I really believe that anybody that is, has symptoms of anxiety should be screened for this trait. And I do have a free sensitivity quiz that they can take. Um, and I have a letter that, that you can give your medical and mental health professionals. That's a free download. And that's a great way to, to really educate them. You want to make sure that they understand this trait before you're getting put on medications. Um, and even depression, you know, there's a lot of uh, clients that I've seen that had been struggling for a long time with depression, but actually what we found out a lot of times that it was, was that lack of stimulation because there, because there's this balance that needs to be had if we're 
If we're isolating too much because we're overwhelmed with the world, then that can actually create symptoms of depression. Mm -hmm. um, but if we're out in the world too much without enough downtime and enough alone time, that can activate symptoms of anxiety, which actually can be sensory overload. In addition, bipolar um, is, a, is often misdiagnosed in, in this group of people, ADHD, um, borderline. These are some of the misdiagnosis is if your practitioner does not know about the trait, uh, and it is incredibly important that they know about it. Right. And to really factor in the person's environment too, right? Like if I have a client coming to me and saying they have like, you know, extreme anxiety, and maybe I'm starting to think, you know, generalized anxiety, maybe I should find out more about the environment, right? Like what if they're living with somebody who has, um, you know, a, a, a diagnosed condition or somebody, or there's violence in the home, or there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of just like emotional intensity, how much of that anxiety is actually just them picking up on all of that? Yeah, energy. I mean, the answer is not just to, to give medication. I, I know that a lot, we see that a lot with medical uh, professionals that are giving medication, they're not trained in that particular um piece of information. They're not gathering that holistic picture of, of the client and patient. It is just so essential, like you were saying, to, to know the whole picture about what is going on. Because we are so sensitive, we're impacted by medications more than the majority. So we're going to need, we most likely need lower dosages. We need to go on and off medications more slowly. So there's a lot of things that, that the professionals need to know when they're treating. Um, and you know, the thing is, I believe in this grassroots movement, which is why I created that letter, because I, I believe in advocacy. So every time somebody's giving that letter to that particular medical or mental health professional, imagine all the sensitive people coming after you that are going to be helped by that. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the part about the medication and stuff. Um, even when I was working, so so I know that my sensitivity for me contributed to uh, my body breaking down and me getting really sick with Lyme disease and mm -hmm. chronic fatigue syndrome. And when I was working, even with my holistic practitioners, uh, sometimes they would just, you know, prescribe off the bottle, say, oh yeah, take 10 drops of this stuff, you know, like herbs, for example. And that dose, if I took that much, would floor me and knock me out. I needed to take one drop, not mm -hmm. 10. Right. So yes. even though those medications, I was very responsive to herbs, um, homeopathics are really great flower essences. You know, this, I find those are super helpful for, you know, sensitive people, but, but to really, um, recognize that your body might need a different amount of this stuff than somebody else. And, um, I don't know if you ever use muscle testing, but you know, I will teach my clients how to self muscle test or I will work with them so that we're actually checking energetically what your body is asking for, not just prescribing, you know, off a template or, or based on, you know, whatever they did their research on, which was probably a bunch of like white college males in their twenties. Right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We, we need, to, and we need to trust what our body is telling us. That's the positives of of being sensitive is you usually know what's going on inside your body pretty early and, and often before medical tests even show up. Um, and that's something to, to, you wanna make sure you're working with practitioners who believe you. When you go in and you have a symptom, yeah. you want a practitioner to believe you that this is real for you. 
and shop around for practitioners that believe you. I actually have an HSP practitioners directory on my website also um, to work with specifically with HSP practitioners. Yeah, that's so important. I was dismissed, you know, when they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I definitely remember a couple of times people implying directly or not so directly, you know, that it was something in my head. It must be psychological. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the medical establishment's answer. If they can't explain something, well, it must be psychological. It's all. Oh my head. gosh. It's, it's horrible. I can't believe how many times I've heard, oh, you know, we usually don't, we don't see it affect people like that, you know, or, well, I don't usually see that. But the thing is we have to remember one out of five of, of a doctor's patients are going to have this trait. So there's 1.4 billion of us out there. There's a, there's a lot of people with this trait. We're not alone. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and this is real for so many of us. So, and you can actually find HSP practitioners who understand your experience. Yeah, you really have a lot of resources that you offer people. You've mentioned a few of them. What other resources, I love sharing them on the show. What other resources would you suggest either for the person who identifies as a highly sensitive or a practitioner maybe who wants to learn more about it? Yeah, one of the first places to go I, and that's been really successful for a lot of HSPs is my course, um, my brain training course. So it's called Brain Training for the Highly Sensitive Person Techniques to Reduce Anxiety and Overwhelming Emotions. That's a great first step for a lot of people. And it also gives you eight weeks free in my sensitive empowerment community. Um, and the community itself is just an amazing place. And I have a lot of information on my website, lots of free information too. Um, and uh, there's even a, a tab that says tools that teaches the self-compassion technique. These are all free on my website. Um, it teaches uh, how to sleep better because a lot of sensitive people struggle with sleep. And that's one of our really number one priorities for wellness. Um, and there's just, there's so much information. I have the HSP blog, the HSP podcast, so you can learn a lot. I know a lot of HSPs have shared, like they've listened to every episode and that really changed their life. These are all free on my website. Um, and I have free masterclasses too that really help people understand the trait. There's some about setting boundaries. There's some about anxiety. There's some about sensory overload um, and things like that. Just tons of stuff on my website. <laughs> yes, yes, it really is a treasure trove. Um, what would, and, and what do you suggest for the friends or loved ones? You know, maybe they, these are people who maybe not themselves don't really identify as being sensitive, but maybe they have someone in their life who is. What do you suggest for the loved ones of those who have the trait? Yeah, I actually have a, it's also a free video on my website that's about the trait. Um, and that's a good place to start as well as introducing people to the sensitivity quiz. Um, because that answers a lot of your questions about sensitivity as well. So those would probably be good places to start, uh, as well as the blog and podcast for education about the trait and to there's even um, episodes about how to talk about the trait, how to share it with others, we cover you know, I'm very tuned into the HSP community about their needs. And I think just about every possible subject you could think of about this trait has been covered. <laughs> so there's a lot of information. And we do a lot of live events in my sensitive empowerment community. People can um, connect to me directly that way also. Uh, and I'm in my community every day. It's, it's my favorite place to be. And we're, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I kind of think of it as like the butterfly coming out of the cocoon uh, of, you know, this sensitive empowerment community, because that's what's happening is sensitive people are getting empowered and to see what they do in the world is incredible. I'm very interested in, in, in getting 
um, sensitive people into leadership positions, places where uh, they can be a part of policy and lawmaking to work with systemic racism and climate change. Uh, you know, big stuff. Uh, I offer uh, free scholarships to my brain training course for Black HSPs as part of Be, a, Be the Change. So we do a lot of um, big work too, because I, I believe that it is the sensitive people who are needed in the world to make some of these changes. Oh yeah. I mean, you're reminding me of um, like Temple Grandin, you know, yes. and like, like what she did, you know, in that area. And, and it makes me wonder too, like how much of like the autistic and, and Asperger's community, you know, again, who often get so pathologized for being different, how much their sensitivity, you know, like this, maybe some of this, these tools and stuff are applicable for them. Do you find that you get folks, um, you know, on the spectrum kind of showing up in this? In yeah, this I get asked about that a lot. And it's really fascinating. So for those of us that are high up on the scale of sensitivity, we actually have really similar experiences sensory wise. Some of the sensory sensitivities are very similar to those on the spectrum. Um, but some of the differences are we happen to be able to you know, sensitive people can read uh, social cues and uh, facial expressions and body language and all that even more than most people. So that's one distinguishing feature that's different. But yes, the, the, the sensory overload is actually really similar for those of us really high up. So we have to, it's really imperative that we spend a couple hours of alone time every day, spending time in nature every day working on mindfulness and meditation practices, you know, thinking about, I kind of think about the um, nervous system as being a motor. And for most of us that haven't, you know, if we haven't been trained about this, it's like, you know, flooring the gas pedal on your car all day long and the engine is burning out. This is where we see chronic fatigue and we see adrenal issues and we see a lot of chronic um, autoimmune issues. We see a lot of that in this population. Um, so, thinking about ways that we can turn that motor down, slow that down. So we do, um, you know, meditations, mindfulness practices, things like that. Nature is one of the best things to do as a sensitive person, spend time alone in nature, connecting to a tree, connecting to the beautiful leaves and, and flowers and bushes around you when you're on a walk, just slowing down. Another thing is slowing down the mornings. Um, and you know, when you wake up, just don't jump up and get into your to-do list, but really slow yourself, slow your movements, give yourself that slow pace in the morning because that will impact your whole day. These are things that have been profoundly um, impacting HSPs in a really positive way. Uh, there's so much to say, but it, these are some of the things that have been really helping. Yes, yes, agreed. Um, what, what a gift uh, that you're doing this work and a contribution that's really needed from, from my perspective. So thank you for the work that you're doing and for all these wonderful resources you know, that you're offering. And we'll be sure to include all of this in the show notes. Any final thoughts you have? Um, any words, wisdom maybe you'd like to share with, with the audience about uh, what we've been talking about today? I would just really like to send a message that sensitive people to, to all of you that you are really valuable and that you are really needed in the world. And that if you're struggling, there's a lot of things that you can do that will really help you. And once you lift off that, that really that weight of overwhelm, you're going to experience so many challenges, so many gifts will, will emerge that you, um, you're some of the most creative, caring, compassionate people in the world. And we really need you. 
And I would like to just share that message that you're very valuable. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in today. Um, if you like this podcast, please do share, click like, make a comment. Um, let's get this information into the hands of more people who are seeking this and who don't even know yet they're, they're seeking this. Um, so thank you for tuning in. Thank you again, Julie. And tune in next time for another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. Thank you for having me. And thanks for the work you do in the world. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.